0: Sthapaka Yachadharamasya, Sarvadharamasvarupine, Avataravarishthaya, Ramakrishna Yate Namaha, Vasudeva Sutam Devam. Kamsa chanuram ardhanam, devaki paramanandam, krishnam vande jagat gurum So in the last class, before the Navaratri break, we were studying the 16th sloka of the second chapter of Bhagavad Gita. So, just before we start our class, just let me wish you all uh, a Shubha Vijayadashami. So, after the Durga Puja, we are all here meeting here again for the class. Let us pray to the divine that we can come out soon from the big crisis, the global crisis in the form of the COVID infection, which is going on. That we may come out soon and can again have a normal life, healthy life, peaceful life. So with this prayer, now let us go back to our study of the Bhagavad Gita. So in the last class, we were discussing the 16th sloka of the second chapter of Bhagavad Gita, where we find that Bhagavan Krishna has entered into the discussion of the Self. And at the very inception of his discussion, he is speaking about the Self in a very specific terms. Is there something which is eternal? And whether that eternal principle is something which is conscious, which is immutable, to enter into that idea, to enter, to open up the discussion and the idea of the concept of the soul. So this sloka was. Pronounced by Bhagavan to Arjuna. What is that? Nāsato vidyate bhāva Nābhāva vidyate satah Ubhayo rapi drishtanto Stanayo Sattva Na Nasata vidyate bhāva The real thing, the bhāva that which exists ever The word Bhava came from Bhūdhārta. Bhū means to be born from the Bhū. Bhūtva means that which is born. So actually the ultimate reality is something which was never born, which is, which always exists. So the unreal never is, na asato vidyate bhava. The unreal is never is. In the last class we had a vivid discussion. We will just have the nutshell of it, what this sloka actually means. It's a very significant sloka as per, as a a Vedantic way of ascertaining the nature of the reality is concerned. So the unreal never is. Na abhava vidyate sata. And the ne- reality, the real never ceases to exist. So this is the definition of sat and asat as per the Vedantic way of defining the reality is concerned, That what is real, that which never ceases to exist, that which is Trikal avadhita, whose existence is not interrupted. Vadhita means to interrupt. Avadhita means uninterrupted. By any phase of time, past, present, and future. It was through eternity. It is, it will be through eternity. So that's the real. And what is unreal? Anything which is going through the process of transformation. And not only that, it started to exist at certain point of time. And as long as it exists, it doesn't exist in just one form. It is constantly changing. And then a time comes when it ceases to exist. So all the things which we see in this world, material, immaterial, or even we can consider animate, inanimate they're all going through this process this existed at certain point of time and as long as they exist they're constantly going through the changes as in the scripture they speak of shara, vikara the six changes everything is born jayate exist for some time asti vardhate there will be growth for some time And then the growth stops, parinamate. Transformation process starts. And then the decay process sets in, apakshiate. And at last, annihilation, nasti. So these are the six processes through which our body is going through. Anything in this world, even the sun, the moon, the planets, for everything, for the galaxies, for everything, you will find in the gist, These are the six transformations which is going on. So the scripture very, very poignantly, specifically, ascertains to the fact that these are all Asat. These are not real. Anything which was not existence, which is not going to exist, and even while existing, it is going through these six changes. So the one who knows that is the tattva darshi. In the last class, we were saying that in Sanskrit, these two words are very important, tattva and mata. Mata is opinion, hypothesis. That goes on changing. In science, we find there are so many hypotheses with new discoveries. The old hypothesis is ruled out. And those are all matas, opinions. Tattva is something which is the truth which none can deny. So here the scripture is indicating that there are some who have realized something eternal behind this flow, which never changes, which is the eternal witness. It is always there. And that also its presence is always in the present tense. It is always in that eternal present. It has no past. It has no future. The question of time, the past, present, future comes when there is transformation. With respect to the transformation, we say, oh, he was young, now has become old. The galaxies, the planets, the sun, the star is aging. It's all the transformation which speaks of time. If there is no transformation, the concept of time falls off. So it is in the eternal present. There's the idea of purana, pura api navaiva. These words are so important in Sanskrit. It's ever existing in the eternal present. So those who have realized that, they know that behind that all these changes, there is something which eternally exists without any change in the eternal presence. And that's the reality. Everything else is just a mere flow. They appear to be real, but they are not real. So now the question comes, that when you say that behind this flow there is some witness, then naturally like, any, or like anything which we want to know, here also the question comes, what is that? So now the scripture, Through the words of Krishna, Bhagavan Krishna, in teaching to Arjuna, the next sloka will speak of that truth. What's that truth? Let us read the sloka and go to the discussion. Then what is that which is always real? It's the 17th sloka of the second chapter. (inaudible) Avinashi Avinashitutadviddhi yena sarvamidam tatam vinasham. Avyaya siyasya nakaschit kartum arhati avinashi tadvidhi yena sarvamidam tatam. So, the second phrase yena sarvamidam tatam that by which everything else is pervaded. Yena sarvamidam tatam. This word tatam indicates perv this pervasiveness, the thing which is pervading, there is only one thing which is appearing as the universe. Yena sarvam idam. Sarvam idam. Whatever you see, tatam is being pervaded. That by which all is pervaded. Yena sarvam idam tatam. Know that to be imperishable. Something is appearing as this world something which is eternally uncha- not changing, is appearing as this world of flow, constant change going on. The one which is projected as this universe, know that to be avināshi, which is imperishable. Vināsham avyayas na kaschit kartum arhati that none can cause destruction. That anyone can kill the body, but the one who is pervading the entire existence, that cannot be touched. None can cause any destruction of that which is immutable. So this sloka speaks of that reality, which has been spoken of in the previous sloka. That there is something which is imperishable. So, here again, so you will find it is almost the same language. You are speaking of something which is imperishable, but you cannot show it to me. And not only that, you cannot indicate it with even any gender. The word which has been used in this sloka is tat. The tat word in Sanskrit is neuter gender. The ultimate reality is beyond this. all the sense of gender, caste, any sort of distinction. It transcends all such distinctions because it has no attributes. It is the attributes which gives us the sense of distinction. When all the attributes falls off, the things with which you define me Oh, Or that the person is wearing a particular type of cloth. He is a monk or he is a householder. All these are the attributes. If you remove the attributes, the pure existence which is me is the same existence which you are, which everyone is. As Holy Mother used to say, the jokhon, when you see the one who resides in me, Resides in you, resides in the lowest of the lowly. So, when you know that you are a tattva darshi, when you can realize the essence which is you, the same essence which is me, the same essence which is me, is in the lowest of the lowly. No, only know it for certain. That's when you can speak of Tattva darshana, that you have realized the truth. So here, that's this thing which has been spoken of. That, but that cannot be indicated. Very interesting. That that Brahman, that unchangeable consciousness. It is the self of all. It has been spoken of in the neuter gender. There's a nice. Uh, allegories which Sri Ramakrishna gives in the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. That a person was worshipping the Mother Goddess and someone else came and saw that the Mother Goddess was wearing a Yagyopavita. You know that the, those who are the Brahmins, they have that thread, that sacred thread across their shoulders. Is a Hindu tradition that uh, when you have your second birth at the time of the Brahmacharya ceremony, at the time of Upanayana, when the child is about to enter into the life of Brahmacharya, of studentship, they have that Upanayana, that sacred thread ceremony. And the sacred thread will be hanging around his neck throughout his life to Given the idea that he has taken as in the second birth. The first was the biological birth. This is the birth in a spiritual sense. He has taken the second birth. This is there in every religion. Dvija, the word Dvija, which we say that the Brahmin is a Dvija. The word Dvija means that. The Dvija means Jayate, taking birth. Dvi means second. So the second birth at the time of Upanayana, we have that holy thread. But as per the old tradition, it's only the male members of the family who had to go through that ceremony. So we need not enter into the discussion that what type of discrimination it was. We need not go there. We just let us take for uh, just for our discussion the idea that it was only meant for the male member of the family of the society. Now this man was worshipping the mother. Mother Goddess, and there was an Yagyopavit, that sacred thread across her shoulders, across her neck. So the one who was observing, he naturally was a bit curious to know that what type of worship it is. The Mother Goddess, she is the female form of the divinity. How can she have that Yagyopavit, that sacred thread? So he asked that how come you have made the Mother wear the sacred thread? And the man replied, very nice, This Sri Ramakrishna's words are so simple. That man replied that, well, most probably you have understood that what gender God is. I don't know what gender he is. So I am a bit confused about it. So I have put the Yavya Pavit on her. So this, what's the idea? That he's beyond any attributes. I cannot demarket him as a male or female or distinguish him in, in, with the help of any sorts of attributes. So that's why it's a wonderful way of expressing that ultimate truth is a neuter gender tat. And the word the it is pervading everything which speaks of Brahman. We have this is the word with which we are so familiar. but what actually is Brahman means, Brahman means all pervading. It came from Bri Dhatu. In all the Indian languages, we know that Big means Brihat. In the pure form of Hindi, pure form of Bengali, we know Big means Brihat. It came from the Sanskrit, pridhatu. Means that which has no limitation. When I think of my individuality, when I'm thinking, I close my eyes, I close my ears. I have no uh, interaction with the external world. Everything has stopped. But I can I get rid of the idea of that amness emanating from me. It is always there. I am, I am, it is always there. And I know that amnes has a locality. It is centered in this psychophysical existence, that amness which is emanating. But the scripture says that that amnes is something which is not local. The am who is the witness of all the things which is happening around me, I feel it is local. And when you go to that spiritual realization, that locality falls off, that amnesis without boundary. The Atman which speaks of this localized consciousness of myself is actually non-local. The localization is a diseased state of our existence. As we say again and again, when what is the sign and symptom of any disease? When our consciousness gets localized, that is dis-ease, dis- ease. your ease has gone. That's we are not more feeling ease, why? When I am healthy, my consciousness throbs through my entire body. I'm not aware of any particular part of my body. See a child just bubbling with health. He's not conscious of any part of the body. During the game, most probably he fell down and had some small bruises. He or she is not aware of it. It's only when he or she comes back, the mother points out where you fell. He's so much bubbling with life, zeal, zest, that he's not aware of any particular part of the body. There small cuts, bruises, that matters, nothing to him. He's bubbling with health. When we say we are diseased, as we start growing old, suddenly we find the consciousness The amnes which was pervading my entire body is getting more and more localized. Oh, I have a chest pain. The consciousness which was supposed to pervade your entire body is now getting localized to a chest. I have a stomach ache. I have a headache. I have a knee ache. So the first sign of disease, disease means your ease has gone. What? Your consciousness gets localized. So in spiritual sense, we are all diseased. Why? The amnes, which is non-local, which is Brih, Prihat, which is beyond all sorts of limitations, demarcations, boundary. It gets localized the moment it gets identified with our psychophysical existence. And in spiritual sense, we are all suffering from Bhavaroga. That's why we need Bhavaroga vaidya The Krishna has to come down to instruct us, the Vaidya, the doctor of the disease called worldliness. He comes down to instruct us in a way where we are aware, first, we are aware of the disease, and then we can come out of the disease state of existence by again relating to that dimension of existence which is beyond all locality. And that is the Brahman. That is the thing which is sarvam idam tatam, which is all pervading. And what is it is pervading? What the, all the things which is pervading are not the ultimate truth. They are constantly changing. Yena sarvam idam tatam. This yena is the thing which is asat. The world of name and form, whatever I see the name and form is Asat. As very nicely in Chandogya Upanishad, we will find it is mentioned that what that with clay, so many things are made, the pot, maybe some toys. It has so many names and forms. I call a tumbler, a tumbler, a clay tumbler, a tumbler, a clay plate, a plate. The toy is a toy. But all these names and forms, from where it is coming, a particular form is designated with a particular name. But the reality is, everything is made of clay. That clay is the thing which is eternal. Everything is just mere name and form. Mrittika ityeva satyam, In Chandogya Upanishad, there are some slokas in a very simple way they are explaining. As for Ramakrishna in the Gospel. In one place is mentioning that in a city made of wax, the wax is the real. Everything else is just name and form. So here also Bhagawan is indicating that all these things, the Yena, or this world of name and form you are seeing, is changing there. But there is something eternal, unchanging behind that. Just the way the mrittika is the thing which is eternal, as if behind all the objects made of clay, all the objects made of gold, all the ornaments, as per their shape, as per their utility, they are named variedly. But in essence, they are all gold. So here also Bhagawan is indicating that behind this world of name and form, these things which are eternally changing, there is something which is the substance, the essence. That alone is real. Everything else is unreal, asat. In, as per the nature of the things are concerned, they're constantly changing, they're unreal. And as per the way we are perceiving the thing, then also they're all unreal. The unreality can be proven in two ways. If you take the object to, any object as a reality, Then as per the definition that which never changes is real, that which is changing is unreal. Now we will find anything is going through change. So as per the objective reality is concerned, it is unreal. There's another way to understand that it is unreal, even from psychological point of view, in from the point of view of our perception. If I ask when you see a red flower, I ask, is it real? You say yes, it's real. I say, how is it real? I see it. What I see it cannot be unreal, as simply as that. But a wonderful thing in Vedanta, this, this idea of everything is name and form. It's not real, it's just a map of reality. Thousands of years back, this truth, at present, science has started ascertaining that the universe which we see We are constantly hallucinating. The thing which we say as real is not real. It is a consensus reality. Consensus means we all consent that it is real. Why we consent? Because we are all hallucinating in the same way. The way you hallucinate, the same way I hallucinate. All are hallucinating in the same way. And so we give the vote, yes, this is real. If someone, because of some mental aberration, sees it in a different way, we will say, oh, schizophrenic. We say he's diseased. Actually, we are all schizophrenic. But we are all schizophrenic in the same way. And that's why what we see has become real for us. But it is not real. You'll say, how come? This is the wonder of Vedanta, which they have discovered thousands of years back, which modern science has started claiming. That's why Swami Vivekananda used to say a very interesting thing. That when someone asked that, what is the future of Vedanta, of religion? He told that we encourage the development of science. The more the science progress, the foundation of Vedanta, will find it's getting stronger. All the so-called superstitions, they're falling off. The irony is in the present day, in the name of Hinditva, it is all those superstitions that is again uh, getting much prominence. We are, we are not giving importance to the essence where there is no as such questions of difference. All those uh, symbols, ideologies now has becoming important. But we forget that the thing for which Vedanta stands is that knowledge which no one can deny. It has to depend on, uh, not on any sort of symbology, any sort of rituals, nothing. It's the tatwa, the truth. Now we, we will try to understand in a very simple way what we are speaking of. That what we see is not real. We take it as an object, it is not real. The when we are perceiving, it is not real. This example which we give again and again, I will just cite here to make this point clear. When I'm seeing the red flower, the flower is not red. A particular wavelength of light, the light is falling on it. A particular wavelength of light is reflected back. Even Modern science will say you not a single wavelength of light has any color from where the color comes. That one particular wavelength of light which is reflected back by that flower. So here another thing, another clue is there. The all the wavelengths of light is absorbed by the flower. A particular wavelength is reflected. That is going to identify it. So in our life, we should always remember, what I take from the society is not my identity. What I give back, that is my identity. So everything in the object you see, all the wavelengths of light which has been absorbed, That has nothing to do with the color, the attribute, the the thing by which I identify that flower has to do with it. The thing which has been reflected, that has no color. But the color, how it will be generated? The thing which is being reflected, which is, it gives out, it comes and touches my eyeball. And now, the function of the light stops there. It gets converted into optic nerve current. It's just a nerve current, like an electric current which is growing which is going through that nerve transmitted through that nerve and when it reaches a, the particular center of the brain we call the vision center you will be amazed to know that the color is actually projected by the brain it is projecting the color on the object to make us feel it is red so this with this one example you will understand how we are perceiving the entire world it's all the projection of the mind. What I'm saying is not some uh, this—the fertile imagination of the brain. You go to the scientist, the neurologist, and just find whether the, the, any one of them will be denying this fact. It's a total. The world we see is an imagination. But does it mean the world doesn't exist? No, something exists. Here again you will find the beauty of Vedanta. That sat, the existence, that cannot be denied. There is something which is interpreted as the red flower. And that is the total functioning of the mind. So what we see is not reality. It is the map of reality. If you study Vedanta, some concepts are very, very terse. It's very sometimes becomes very difficult to understand. With the help of easy examples, you will understand. When Shankaracharya is speaking of the ultimate reality and this, the reality which we see in our day-to-day life, he is saying that the truth expresses itself in two layers. One is paramarthik satya, the absolute reality. The other is a vyavaharik satya, the truth which is not absolute, but for our day-to-day life, it is okay. It with that we can conduct ourselves in our day-to-day life. That is just Vyavaharik. But that is not the Paramarthik. Ultimately, it is not the truth. So we will understand what this Vyavaharik Satya and Paramarthik Satya is. So this is the example which we, that keep that ex, uh, understanding of the idea of the red flower. Now we will just take another example. That the redness is not in the flower. It is I who am projecting. Why do we project? Otherwise, we cannot work in this world if the mind was not built in that way. Just to give an example, I go out to find out the network of roads in the Melbourne city. And then I come back and draw a map. What I do, I draw the freeway and there are some merging roads and there are some exits. Now for my own convenience, just see, there's a difference. In, in truth, all the roads look alike. The merging road, the freeway, the exit. All are the same metal roads. The color is same. Their texture is same. But when I draw the map, what I do for my own convenience, for Vyavahara, I color, there's just the freeway most probably, I color it with green color. All the merging roads, I color with the red color. And the exits was probably a color with the blue. And just for example, I'm taking in the map, you will find that various colors are used to demarket all those roads. Now, if a small child sees the map, what it will think? It will think, yes, and he asks what it is. This is the network of roads in Melbourne. The first thought will come to the child, oh, there must be some red color, green color, and blue color roads out there in Melbourne City. Will the child ever find those red color, green color, blue color roads? No. But in the map, when I have drawn, why I have drawn with these colors? Vyavahara, For my own convenience. So similarly, the senses are built in such a way for, its, for my day-to-day activities. I'm coloring the world in various ways. Someone doesn't color me in the same way I say he's colorblind. Most probably he's not coloring in the same way. He is the minority. And that's why we say you are defective, but all are defective. We are all defective in the same way. And the majority always wins. The question of democracy is there in the world of ignorance. The moment we are in the domain of ignorance, immediately the democracy comes in the form of the majority. The veto of the majority. That what the the way we are all ignorant, that is real. So this yena is that. Now what we cannot deny? That something is appearing as red flower. That redness is the attribute. That attribute, does it belong to that? No. It is the projection of the mind. It is a wonderful smell. Is that smell really of that flower? Again, the same thing. It's the projection of the mind. Because the Uh, small, there were the flowers, small pollens, which has touched your nose, it has, it is not that pollens never enter your brain. It stops there. Again, it gets converted into nervous current. That's being interpreted as the wonderful fragrance. So everything else, all the attributes with which I know the flower are the projection of the mind. But can I deny, I can never know that flower, what it is. I say, when I say that uh, it is a flower, yes. It is a rose flower, yes. How? Yes. It is a red rose. It has a nice smell. Apart from all those attributes, can you define that red flower? No. But can you deny that there is something? No. That existence cannot be denied. That there is something. But it is almost impossible for me to know it as it is. The moment I have to know it, It has to be through my mind, and the mind will color it and let me know it with all the attributes. So if you remove the attributes, can you deny that nothing is there? No. I cannot deny something is there. That existence which is there out. The same way, when I define myself, what I am defining is with all the attributes. They are all the projection of the mind. If I remove the attributes... Then do I not exist? No, there is something exists. So, so on one side I cannot deny the amness. On the other side, I cannot deny the isness. So this amness and isness is the sat, is the reality, and the Vedanta asserts that's the thing which is the eternal conscious principle appearing as the world. Everything else are the attributes, the projections of the mind. There are so many wonderful stories, you know, that which explains this idea. Even in Buddhism, this idea is wonderfully explained. One of the cousins of Buddha, Aniruddha, is a nice story in Buddhism to explain this idea that the world which we see in Buddhism, it is called subjective idealism, is the projection of the mind. The idea very nicely is explained in one of the stories in Buddhism. Aniruddha of you know, the cousins of Buddha, he was born with a boon because of some past good deeds. That any material things he desires, it has to materialize. He should get it. Satya Sankalpa. Whatever he desires, that immediately he will get it. So now. As a royal prince, he was one day playing with other royal children. And in the process of the game, they started to have a shot of gambling. Children's gambling, you know what, with what they will gamble. They have no money. So the mothers, as in the morning, they, when they came out from the palace, mother knew that these children will be playing throughout the day. They will be hungry. So they were all provided with stiffened box with food. Now these children have nothing apart from this food. So they started gambling with the food. Okay, if I lose, I will give you one bread. If you lose, you have to give me one bread. So in the process of the game, Aniruddha started losing. And in no time, the pile of bread, which was in the lunchbox, was exhausted. So Aniruddha being the royal prince, always attended by the servant, he ordered the servant, go back to my mother and Get back a pile, these piles of breads. Just take this stiffened box, lunch box, and bring a pile of breads. When the servant goes back, the mother thinks most probably the child is very hungry today. So she is quite happy. Okay, it's good. She, he's hungry, let him have. So again, she packs the lunch box with a pile of breads. The servant comes back. The game goes on. Anirudh you know, is so much hooked up with the game. Again, he starts go on, starts gambling and loses again. The second pile of bread is also over. And now he is exhausted. He's a bit hungry, really hungry, but nothing to eat. He has lost all the breads. So now again, he orders a servant, go back, bring another pile of bread. But this time the mother understands something wrong. The child cannot eat so much they must be they, having some sort of mischief so the mother gives back the empty lunch box to the servant and says go back to my child and say him no bread enough no bread so what to do the servant was carrying the empty lunch box now when he was carrying the empty lunch box back now all the devatas they were very much anxious because Aniruddha was born with a boon that whatever material things he desires has to be fulfilled. Now he is in need of bread. How can there be no bread? So all the devas, they conspire. How? The servant doesn't know. Somehow they manage to fill the lunch box. After all, they are devas with piles of the divine bread, wonderful this divine flavor. Test this bread, they pile it. It's very interesting. We will come to it. First, let us finish the story. The, the word Deva yush is the catch point here. The Devas fill the lunch box with all those piles of bread. And the servant, as was ordered, goes back and gives that lunch box with the piles of, he doesn't know. That it is already filled with the divine bread. And that he knows it is empty. So he gives it to the child as he was ordered and says, no bread. The child opens and finds these piles of celestial bread. It's so tasty. He finishes it off very quickly. He was so hungry. And now he was, has developed a craving for the second uh, serve. So now he orders the servant, go back to my mother and ask her not to give any other bread. She should again pack this lunch box with no bread. The no bread is a substance for Aniruddha. That no bread, wonderful tasty. How it has become the tasty? It is the devas who conspired to fill the empty lunch box with that celestial bread. Now the word deva is the catch point. The word Deva means celestial beings in Sanskrit. The word Deva also means the indriyas, the eyes, the ears, the nose, the touch, the test, the tongue. Why they are called Devas? The word Deva came from Div Dhatu. Div means to illumine. Divasa. Divasa means the daytime when it is all illumined from Div. Illumination. Div speaks of illumination. Divya. In Sanskrit, Divya means illumined. So from divdhatu, the word devata came. So as the so-called celestial beings are having a very subtle body, they are full of illumination, they are called devata. And again, the indriyas, they illumine the world which I see. It is these indriyas that are illuminating. But these indriyas, how they are illuminating, illuminating the world? They are actually illuminating by Filling of the empty lunch box. That wavelength of light which is coming has no color. It is empty, empty of color. It is the indriyas. The mind is the sixth indriya. The, they all conspiringly fill the lunch box. That empty lunch box. That wavelength of light which has no color with all color, with taste, with smell. And it becomes a reality for me, for you. For everyone. And like Aniruddha, we crave for that no bread. And that's what is being spoken of in our literature as asat, as simple as that. It is the way we are hooked up with the world of virtual reality when we are watching the movie. Is there anything real? No. Same way. Here, only the duration is much longer. A movie is over in two hours, and then suddenly I find, oh, I was so absorbed, I was taking everything as real. Now it's over. I enjoyed it. Here it takes quite a longer period, maybe for lives together, who knows how many lives, but at last it is to break. And then we feel, oh, it was a world of virtual reality. I am as that eternal conscious principle, as the witness. And that's the only thing which exists. And that's the thing which was indicated as tat, the hatu, which has no locality. And whatever else I see is Yena. So let's, let's see that how these words are so important in understanding the philosophy behind the Vedantic literature. These words, these words has been construed in such a way. It's a wonderful way. The Sanskrit words are wonderful. Within the word, the, so much of philosophy is encrypted. Tatam means pervading. It is pervading as the witness. It is the one witness which is witnessing all. In another sense, it is pervading. Just the way, when I am passing through the desert, I see a huge reservoir. That reservoir actually is not there. It is a mirage. When I, then, when I realize that it is a mirage, then what, I, what do I realize? That it is the desert which is being projected as the reservoir. The desert is a substratum. If the desert is not there, the desert is not there. Just the way when I'm walking through the street in the twilight hours, seeing a rope, I see the snake. The snake actually is not there. It is a rope. But when I realize that it is the rope which is appearing as the snake, then can I say that the snake was pervaded by the rope? It is a rope which is appearing as the snake. If you remove the rope, snake is also gone. Snake is not there. The the rope, the snake is as long as the rope is. So the entire snake is pervaded by the rope. So now you'll understand the idea of tatam, that it is a conscious principle which is appearing as this universe. It is the witness in one sense, and in another sense, it is the thing which in substance is being projected as a universe. Just the way white light passing through the prism breaks down to the spectrum, then what can I say that the spectrum is nothing but the white light. Similarly, the eternal conscious principle, when it comes in association with the mind, in this breaks into the spectrum of this world of name and form. As name and form, it has a limited existence for the time being, remove the prism. It still exists. Not as the spectrum, but as the white light. So this white light is pervading the spectrum. You remove the prism, everything resolves back to the white light. Similarly, the conscious principle can, comes in association, because of ignorance, with the mind. It appears as the universe. We go beyond the mind. We are again resolved back to that pure amness with which everything else is perverted. But pure amnes is the thing which is real. Here, the Lord is asserting as the Bhagawan, the scriptures, what's the use of the scripture to make us aware of the reality, which can never be realized through the sunset plus, uh, plane of our existence. Through our senses, which we can never realize. That's why the scripture has to come in. So here also we find Bhagawan is coming to make us realize of this fact that that amnes which is pervading the entire existence, the star, the moon, the sun. In our scripture we say that the one who resides here is Mahyan, greater than the greatest. What it means, what are the greatest? We feel that as for the space is concerned, in space we are so insignificant. I look up in the sky and see the sun. And I know it's a huge planetary body. Looking at the sky, I feel overwhelmed. This how insignificant I am, just like a crawling worm on the surface of the earth In, in comparison to all these galaxies, stars, planets, how insignificant. But have you realized one thing? Very interesting thing. That in space, I am so insignificant. But as for the realization is concerned, you are mahatomaya, greater than the greatest. All these planets, stars, sun, whatever I am seeing, the galaxies, the Milky Way, do they know they exist? It's a big question mark. Do they know they exist? They are inanimate. It is I, this insignificant being, this small being, when I say, oh sun, you exist, the sun immediately comes into existence. It himself without my certificate it doesn't exist it doesn't know it exists i have to certify it is my certificate with which it exists so i am the one who is mahatvamahi hankatar than the sun so that's see the beauty of the vedanta that one who is sitting here asserting the fact that the world exists is the mahatvamahi and that's the all pervading as it is there everything exists i will just Uh, end today's discussion with a very interesting story uh, incident in my own life when I was in India I still remember I was invited to some college in it was in West Bengal Uh, it was a ladies college and uh, this there was a seminar on some Rabindranath Tagore's literature (coughs) so I was asked to preside over that seminar I vehemently denied at the beginning. I told, see, this is not my subject. I know nothing, I uh, do I appreciate the Tagore songs, poetry, but I've never delved deep into the Tagore philosophy. So it's very difficult for me uh, to preside over such a uh, literary uh, seminar. So, but they told, no, no, our intention is different. These, such seminars are constantly going on, but somehow we feel that nowadays these children are in no way exposed to our eternal perennial values of life. So it's just that as a as a president of that, we are presiding that program in the presidential address, you speak whatever you want. After all, you are from a different background, from a, this a, a spiritual a religious background. So whatever you speak will be an eye opener to them. It gives a scope to expose the children to this our spiritual uh, dimension of existence. So please come. So I thought, okay, so that do make some sense. Okay. So but very interesting after that, you know, the, the a research paper was read for one and a half hours. And now you can find that it's it's a common experience, we get total, so much saturated with all those abstruse ideas. And when. The main speaker who was reading his thesis, he was a professor, he just closed his thesis paper and was coming back. Immediately I saw that the entire auditorium was getting empty, all were moving out. Now the principal of the college, he immediately came to the mic and told, still the presidential address is remaining, please sit. But no one was bothering, they were all moving out. And still I remember it was a ladies college in India. There are some type of strictness is still there. The principal again announced the main gate is closed. You cannot go out. But they were not bothered. They somehow wanted to be out of the auditorium. At least even if they cannot go out, they want, to be, they want some fresh air. So at last he felt very embarrassed and told Swamiji what to do. See, they are not listening. Uh, but please, whoever is there, you address and let us finish the program. I still remember I went to the, the podium and I was still, I was just seeing that all the girls coming out and just looking at them, I just told, well, well, you're all going out. Uh, just one question I ask you, uh, suppose it's uh, uh, what you say that your birthday party today and I've invited so many guests and no one turns out with all those arrangement, arrangements, how do you feel? So when I asked this question, somehow they stopped because why he's asking that question, that curiosity, they'll stop. And the next thing I told, this college has arranged such a seminar, such a huge arrangement, thinking that yes, when the speakers will be speaking, there will be some audience. And now as a president uh, to give the presidential address, I am standing here with all for all this arrangement. I find no one in front of me. How do the president feel? So that made them feel a bit embarrassed as they started coming back. They again came and started sitting. Not all, quite a good number. And then the next sentence, which I told, I still remember, very interesting, that this, Tagore's poems are wonderful. That one of the line of one of the poem, I will just say, ter jogge amar dhonna holo dhonna holo manu That in this wonderful fest Joyful fest, which has been arranged by the Lord, Ananda Yagya. A joyful fest has been arranged by the Lord. Stars, galaxies, this beautiful universe, which we look at night at the sky, it amazes us. This wonderful arrangement of fest was done. The feast was arranged, but there was no one to enjoy. So at last the Lord made the guest to enjoy this fest and I am that guest. I have been invited by the Lord to enjoy this fest and give the certificate you exist. Mahato Mahiyan. And that's the one which Avinashi, And that's the thing who is certifying as the eternal witness is the tatam, is the pervading principle. So just see, these locus are wonderful. It just can transport you from the everyday tussles and tensions of life to that existence where everything is at peace and nothing is disturbed. In front of the ocean and you're enjoying the placidity of that endless horizon. It is something like that. For the time being, you forget the hustle and bustle of life standing in front of the seashore, enjoying the beauty of that endless horizon. And that's the thing which Vedanta is doing again and again, taking out us from the hustle and bustle of life to make us aware of that endless horizon of our existence and that which is eternal. So don't get too much hooked up with the happenings of life and start lamenting for it. Enjoy the placidity and we established in your real nature. So that's how it continues. So we will take the second part of the sloka and the continuing slokas again in the next class. So with this, you will find that Bhagavad Gita class, if you are coming with the idea of having some more knowledge, it may be a bit disgusting. It's more like contemplation. It's like more like absorption. It's relating to that other dimension of our existence, which our mind doesn't allow us to stay long. We take out this one hour, weekly once, forgetting our day-to-day concepts for the time being, just to absorb ourselves with that. Just the way sometimes we move out, go out, go to the seashore, and just... Forget everything and enjoy the endless uh, expanse of the ocean, placidity of the ocean, and it, it gives us a freshness. So, this is something which gives much more freshness because it re- helps you to relate to your eternal existence, that placid existence, and it becomes something like a stronghold, like a, as Sri Raswami Vivekananda used to say that the Religion, spirituality is like the falling of the dew. In the morning, you go out and just start walking on the grass and you find the grass is wet. When the dew drops fell, no one knew. It fell unnoticed. It was silently just fallen throughout the night or maybe in the the twilight hours. And it was not noticed by anyone. You go out and you find the ground is wet. So these ideas are like that. It gradually soaks into our being like the gentle dew to drench you with that spiritual dimension of our existence. And then you find you're transformed. You come back from that dimension with total difference perspective. Your own existence become a blessing for you as this, for the world. And that's why the scriptures are there to save us from being totally disintegrated by being identified with this world of hustle and bustle. So that's what we will be doing through the study of Bhagavad Gita. So with this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskars.